And this morning we're going to do something a little different. We are going to give opportunity to uh, the elders and their wives, if they so choose, to share a word with you. Um, as you know, we went to a pastor's and really a church leader's conference in Louisville, Kentucky, and um, <clears throat> called Together for the Gospel. And Together for the Gospel, the very first conference was in 2006, and uh, actually Scotty and Corky and I attended the very first conference, and there was this couple thousand men that gathered in a great big conference room in the uh, bottom of a hotel, and they have these conferences every two years, and now it has grown each year. And this year we were told that there were a little over 10,000 men and a little over 2,000 women that attended the conference, so 12, 13,000 people strong at this conference. But I just wanted to give you a little background, and then we're going to ask Corky to share, and then Sam and Michelle, and then I'll uh, take whatever time is left and share a few words. But there were four pastors and four church leaders from different denominations, but what they had in common was their, their theology, their, their of the Reformed faith. And they got together, they became friends over the years. Um, one of them was PCA Church, one of them is, and that would be Legan Duncan, one of them is Al Moeller, he's the president of um, Southern Baptist Seminary, and uh, so he's diehard Baptist, diehard Presbyterian. Then you have uh, Mark Dever from Capitol Hill Baptist Church, he's a Baptist. And then the fourth was C.J. Mahaney, uh, who kind of came from a charismatic background, but they all had a heart for pastoring and for God's word, and they got together and they said, they enjoyed each other's fellowship and they thought how great this would be if other pastors could get together like this. And so they basically started this conference and it's aimed at equipping and encouraging church leaders. And that's why we often come home with stacks of books. They actually give pastors books that they think will help you in your ministry. Um, they love the church. They love God's people. And it's a blessing to be there. The singing is outstanding as well, and they record the times of our worship. We mostly do hymns. They're recorded, and then they turn it into a DVD. And I was talking to somebody in Farmville this week, talking to them about the conference we went to. He said, you know, I have this DVD I really love, and it says T4G on it, and it's guys singing. It's like a big choir or something. I said, that's us. That's the conference. They record it live and they turn it into DVDs. So that is the, uh, the background behind this conference. And we were really blessed. The messages were outstanding. Um, I came home very encouraged. I think these guys, all of us did. But we're going to let Corky share with us first some things that he's learned. And then Sam. Good morning. Um, first, I, one thing I would like to express um, to New Covenant Fellowship, you right there, is um, thanks. Uh, we certainly would not be able to attend such a um, gathering um, without um, most of all your prayers. Um, your prayers carried us there, kept us there, and, and brought us home. Um, and plus, uh, you know, without saying financially. Um, and so um, during the whole um, 
conference, this was kind of in the back of my mind um, as it pushed me forward. You know, I have an obligation here, and I need to put my nose to the grindstone and stick to it. And so that that was the kind of the one of the thrusts behind um, um, this whole thing is is um, always having an ear tuned to what is being said and um, listening to the best of my ability and depending on God to in His Holy Spirit to to reveal things to me. Um, it, this uh, this particular conference there was uh, uh, you know, like Paul said a large large number of people and. You know, in, in order for safety reasons, for one thing, is, you know, not everybody could walk in there. So we were given, before we ever arrived, a little, um, um, I guess you call it a, a bracelet. If you're a man, you may want to call it something else. But anyway, um, it's a band. Okay, yeah, that's a, it's a man's band is what it is. Okay. It's a wristband. Okay. Bracelet is the only thing I can think of, and that's, that just doesn't sound cool. Anyway. On it, it has written dis- distinct from the world. And um, that's the only way you could get in, distinct from the world. And so um, as I was thinking through what I was going to say today, and I said, well, you know, the first thing I probably should do is, is I understand the word distinct. I don't know what the definition is, but I'll see what Webster says. Uh, he always does a better job of explaining the meaning of words than I do. But uh, he, he gives this definition. He says, recognizably different in nature from something else of a similar type. Recognizably different in nature from something else of a similar type. And my thinking, this is what, in other words, when the world looks at us, when the world looks at the church, when the world looks at a Christian, they see someone just like them. Head, arms, feet, legs, you know, all these things are going on. But there is a, should be, a clear-cut and recognizable difference that they see in us. And so that's, that's what, to me, means to be distinct from the world. Distinct. There is a recognizable difference. Um, one, of the, one of the many talks that we sat under, um, Dr. Ligon Duncan, um, was one I kind of pulled something from. I, I'm, I'm big on one-liners, and he had a one-liner in there that caught it, kind of, all, a lot of them caught my attention, but this one kind of caught my attention, and I, and I picked it up and, and ran with it. And what I bring you today is, is what, uh, some of what he says and what I will take and, and run with it myself. Um, but um, one of the very first pastors that stood up there um, said this, and it was H.B. Charles, Jr. He's a, a, a pastor out of uh, Florida, Jacksonville, Florida. Um, And he says this, he says, um, leaning over to reach the world, the church falls in. Leaning over to reach the world, the church falls in. And so what what I want to, one way that um, we are distinct from the world is, is through our obedience, through our trust, through our faith in God. And so I want to come at you with, with that today. And an and example that Dr. Um, Duncan gave was, he gave us an example of Abraham. And I'll read you, uh, this is chapter 15, the first um, six verses. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? 
and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Here comes that verse 6. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So these verses here that, we, that, that we've just heard is, you know, Abraham is um, addressing his concern that he is still childless, um, which was, as we all know, was a big deal um, to him. But back in, if we, we could go back and, and read in chapter 13 and actually specifically, excuse me, in verse 16, God had promised him before this particular one that his descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. So twice God has said, this is how many of your descendants will be, as many as the dust and many as the stars. So and remember we said the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him. And so God had promised him these things, and so God's kind of repeating himself again here to, to Abraham about this. Um, and so... Abraham still evidently has has doubt and anxiety um, about the, the slowness or the fulfillment of God's promise to him to give him a son. And God kind of God God informs him here, uh, you know what what he what you know the son of promise will be. It's not going to be this as commentators believe this uh, slave. They thought that Eliezer, Eliezer of whatever is a slave that. Abraham evidently picked up on the way. So, but in verse six, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so, Abraham, as we understand righteousness, Abraham stood in right standing before God. It's not by doing, but by believing, as this verse tells us. But in chapter sixteen, um, and here, here comes the kind of the point here. Chapter 16, this man of faith becomes kind of a man of unbelief. And I'm sure most of you are familiar with the story. I'll read a little bit of, in chapter 16, but this is, as you know, took place. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Hagar said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Have relations with my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children. I don't want to say that. It's kind of a little too personal, I think. But anyway, um, anyway, they had relations. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. And after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarah took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. We will skip down to verse 15. We see the results of this um, joining. Um, so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. And as Dr. Duncan Ligon Duncan says, um, therefore started a kind of a, a mess, uh, to say the least. Um, and to this very day, um, strife and uh, every violence and everything that goes on. 
So basically, Abraham retreats from his walk of faith and begins to walk by sight of what he sees and basically gets in trouble over it, um, causes a lot of trouble. And the problem here is uh, that Abraham didn't live like he believed. And that's where we get being distinct from the world, um, living like we believe. You know, Abraham says he believed God. He said, you know, God told him you know, he believed God, and, and God said, this is reckoned to you as righteousness, but Abraham's not acting like it. Abraham, you know, and through Abraham, God is, is speaking through his word. He's speaking to, to us, you know, to believe in me, believe in my promises, even if they're slow in coming. You know, to me, you know, I hear, get your eyes off of your circumstances, and I want you to look at me. Just quit looking around and look up. And as we know, Abraham and Sarah came up with their own way of handling the situation of childlessness. Another thing that he said here, too, and it's kind of a um, good comparison here also, but he, he went back to Adam and Eve. Um, let me read you um, verse, um, chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. It said, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. God blessed them, this is verse 28, and, gave, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Another one-liner here that kind of caught my attention. very first words God ever spoke to human beings was a blessing. God said God blessed them in verse 28. He created them, then he blessed them. And he gave them a charge. He gave them a charge. He said, this is what I want you to do. We just read it. I want you to... Do these things. I'm blessing you, and this is what I want you to do. A blessing, do this. What did Adam and Eve do? They did okay for the first two chapters, kind of, but when they get to chapter 3, it's not good. Um, Long comes Satan and challenges the Word of God to them. What is it? Indeed, did God say? Did God really say? And here we are to this day for that very same. You know, they got their supreme blessing from God. God said, do these things and receive blessing and joy. We sang that song this morning by joy. Um, And basically, obedience to God brings us blessings and joy. You know, God said here to Adam and Eve, you're made in my image. You're made in my image. But when they became um, less, when they became disobedient, when we become less obedient, we become less like him. Here, Dr. Duncan also said, basically the image is not erased our image and likeness of God is not erased, but it is effaced. It is effaced. And I hear again, um, looking at the word efface, one of the um, meanings of it is to make dim. 
and I immediately thought of Paul as he'd been taking us through the Sermon on the Mount. You know, we are called to be salt and light. And he, we talked about, as Paul went through this, he talked about salt becoming less salty because it's diluted. And we become diluted with the world. And this light that's supposed to shine so bright is a little dimmer now because of disobedience. You know, in, in, my, in my thoughts, as I was thinking through this, um, here in Sunday school, we've been studying the book of Habakkuk, and, and the whole crux of, of Habakkuk to me is um, Habakkuk 2.4, is that the righteous shall live by faith. Um, and so as I, as I was thinking about it, this, this kind of faith in, in this verse, um, Habakkuk 2.4 is found three times in the New Testament. Uh, Genesis um, 15.6 is found three times in the New Testament. And so as, as I was thinking about this, um, what, what is being promoted here, what, is, what, what it's, the scriptures are trying to get through to us is a continuing trust in God and clinging to God's promises even in the darkest days. Hebrews 10.38 but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Faith is required. Belief, trust is required from the righteous, and that shrinking back invites God's displeasure. It's, you know, it's just like Abraham here um, and, and us. You know, it's as if though you know though we give up on our patience. Um, we give up on our faith because the promise is so long coming. Our prayers are so long being answered. They're not being fulfilled. Another New Testament verse is, as I was thinking through this, Luke six forty six, Jesus' very own words. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Good old Matthew Henry, he gives his commentary on this. He says, we do no more than mock him if we walk in the way of our own hearts in the sight of our own eyes. And he continued, we join those who scorn him saying, hail, king of the Jews. Luke 12, 48, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. You know, we as Christians have great spiritual resources. Therefore, God holds us more responsible for our, for our, for our lives, for our living before him, for living before the world. You know, we as Christians, we're, we're, we're loved and we're pardoned, and yet we are called to a stricter account at the same time. But there is good news. 2 Corinthians one twenty. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. 
Basically, all of our promises through God are yes and amen through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All of his promises are yes and amen. So how do we keep from being shaped by the world? Is we understand we're, you know, can't be taken out of the world. We can't, you know, communes and all these things have been tried and, you know, they just didn't work. And so we, we understand that. But one thing I thought of is as we try to become more obedient to the Word of God, um, we have to practice continually the graces that God has given us. We have all these, um, you know, loved and pardoned, all these privileges that we'll be given, and we need to practice the graces of God over and over again. And what I mean by that is is, is through um, continual um, prayer, fellowship, um, with the saints, what we do here this very morning, also this morning, the hearing and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, reading, studying, meditating on the word of God, reliance on the Holy Spirit. You know, my prayer for us, my prayer for myself, that, that, that God would, that the Lord would empower us to, to win the world by proclaiming his word. And that we do that, you know, not only with our mouths, but with a visible, tangible form of God's truth. You've probably heard before, we might be the only Bible anybody will ever read. How are we living before the world? I want to, you know, think we need to be in in constant thankfulness to the Lord for our faith that he's given us um, and, and that he would deepen our trust in him. Pray that he would sustain our trust, our faith in him. He would strengthen it. He would not let it fail us. May our lives be living in, in obedience to the Lord. It, you know, that, that's the central core of who we are. You know, and we do all this for, so God would get the glory. One other thing that, you know, I... I um, Received there was um, this, this obedience and faith and trust, you know, to, to continue to thrust after that. Um, but also, several times during the the talks, John, John, Gospel of John 17 was mentioned, which is God, Jesus' highly priestly prayer that he gave. Um, I'm not going to read all of it, but I, I want to start in verse um, 14 and, and read through verse 23. Just ask you to just to listen, and I will kind of close out with with, the, with this. I have given them to I have given them your word, and the word has hated them. The world has hated them, excuse me, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to keep them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe 
that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. So Jesus, in this prayer, you know, he, he, if we read the whole thing, we'd see that he started, he prayed for himself, he prayed for present believers, and he prays for the believers to come. Um, Jesus prays here is, is kind of, it connects with what we, you know, about being distinct from the world. But Jesus prays here for that we would, you know, be in this world and also be sanctified in the truth. The word is God's truth, as he said. Then he makes a purpose statement. He wants these things for one reason. And he says, so that the world may believe that you sent me. That was his purpose. That is our purpose, that we would glorify God. And that's, that's why it's so very important that we act and, and live like we believe. We are children of the King, and we are to act like Him, emulate Him. But there's one more thing here um, that hopefully caught your attention, too. Um, four times Jesus prays in this prayer for unity among us. And that, and that kind of struck me. Um, and he said that we would be perfected in unity. Um, um, we left on April 10th. On that Monday morning, April 9th, as I was reading uh, in the book of Philippians, um, I, I ran across this verse. And you know a lot of times you, you run into verses and you just keep going. And, but this one was kind of like a speed bump. It, it caught, caught my attention. Um, and it was only God doing this. And this is what Philippians 1, verse 27, and it kind of, in a nutshell, captures everything here. Um, this is what Paul wrote. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Why? So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of, hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Church, this is our charge. This is our charge. Conduct ourselves in the manner of the worthy worthiness of the gospel of Christ. And that we be one. So live in such lives that bring recognition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that we stand firm together to God be the glory. I want to say thank you, too, for letting me go with the leadership. I mean, I'm just a wife, but I appreciated it to sit under such good teaching. So, um, Conferences are easy. When you can close your eyes during worship and 10,000 men's voices sing hymns, and the worship leader's Bob Coughlin, who happens to be the author of the book True Worshippers and is playing a sleek baby uh, grand piano, 
When each speaker has written multiple books, delivered sermons to thousands of listening ears, and studied God's word so thoroughly to the point that they can utter it in all without hesitation, but with a reverence that keeps them up on their pedestals that you put them on. When you receive gifts lavished upon you from in the form of books, um, with, with crisp pages, still in palettes, side note, maybe I'm the only one who melts over crisp new pages, um, but who doesn't like to receive gifts anytime you enter or leave a building? Um, when your biggest cares in the, in the moment are getting to the conference center in time to get good seats, finding the best ice cream joint within walking distance, navigating crosswalks without following Sam or Paul into oncoming traffic, making dinner reservations on time, and trying not to drown as you chug the living word, I mean the living water. When you sit shoulder to shoulder with 12,000 people from 50 states and dozens of countries, and your heart fills with awe knowing that the gospel is so much bigger than your small mind can comprehend, reaching to the ends of the earth. Conferences are easy. But real life is hard. When you close your eyes during worship, knowing that the pews are sparse and your own voice is too loud that it distracts you. When each week you listen to your pastor nail the message, but you also see that your leaders are human, just like you, and they too are working out their salvation with fear and trembling. Um, when you walk into your office and glimpse at your bookshelf overflowing with books that you cross your fingers that you will read one day when your life slows down. When your cares of the world come in the form of a five-year-old demanding Pop-Tarts before daylight, laundry that's never-ending, floors and toilets always needing attention, six little hearts that are looking for you or to you for comfort, support, and training, that is your job. When you sit shoulder to shoulder, head to lap, backside to lap, bent over retrieving a child from the floor during the sermon time, trying to keep the little ones quiet and asking God to get you through the next 30 minutes while trying to preach the gospel to yourself because your level of frustration is growing, um, real life is hard. Most of us have come home from conferences, retreats, etc., and feel encouraged to make changes, to fight the good fight, and to turn over a new leaf. His word is so revealing, his spirit is so near, and his voice is so clear, but then you come back to real life. There is no way I can encapsulate last week into this time, but what I believe God wants me to share to you is out of Psalm 4, um, verse 7. You have put more, more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Um, John Piper said, the most essential distinction between the body of Christ and the world is not new decisions of the will, deeds of the hand, or doctrines of the mind, but a new delight in the heart. Um, in Psalm 1611, it says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Um Matt Chandler said, freedom is to be found by dragging our compulsions into the presence of God. And he challenged us, as I challenge you, to cultivate a soul transformed by the presence of God.
know, she was so nervous to speak. <clears throat> and I told her, I said, honey, you're very good at um, verbalizing what God is saying to you. So I'm sure you'll do well. I think she did good. Okay. And it's true because even as she was talking, uh, our two little ones are getting louder and louder and louder because we're not there to muffle them. Man, I need something to throw at him, man. I couldn't, Peyton wasn't getting the, the message I was trying to send to him to tell him to be quiet. And so uh, that is real life. Um, yeah, I too, uh, Corky stole my thunder in saying thank you uh, to you guys. Um, Sometimes you sit out there and because I've, I've been there, so I know it. Um, you sit there when somebody comes up and says, thank you for sending me here and there. And you go, I didn't send you anywhere. What are you even talking about? Um, but it, it was the church. It was you all who sent us to this conference. Um, and uh, I, I'll be honest with you guys, uh, being an elder is a punch in the face. It is hard. And, um, and, uh, <laughs> Corky, did you just say I took the words right out of your mouth? Oh, okay. Uh, it's tough, but you, you get these, 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 uh, conferences sometimes or whatever the, the form of the blessing comes in. Um, and this was just a blessing. Uh, it was great. And so I say thank you to you guys because it was you all who sent us. Um, in a big way, it, it was the, the financial support to go to this thing. So thank you guys. And I really, really do mean that um, from the bottom of my heart, um, first and foremost. So uh, I, I really went... Um, well, let me start off by saying that uh, it, it really is. I, I, by the end of this conference, I was thinking, you know, we always complain and, and talk about, man, the good old days back then. Um, you know, it had been better to live back then or whatever. And, and I thought by the end of this conference, I said, man, it is a good time to be alive. It's a good time to be a Christian. It's a good time to be a follower of Christ. Um, and I guess we probably could say that at any point, but right now, man, we have the word of the Lord. We have uh, men and women that God has raised up to proclaim his word and to lead his people. And so it is a really good time to be a Christian. And um, I, am, I am grateful that this is the point in, in the great span of time that God has, has put me here um, to be on this earth. So... It is a good time, and uh, the the speakers at this thing were incredible. Um, and like Michelle was was kind of painting the picture that you've got guys who have truly devoted their lives to Christ and the gospel, um, to the point where we talked often about man, where do they get the time to do anything else uh, when? These people come up on stage and they're they're asking, all right, who out of these, you know, ten to twelve thousand people, who's the pastor who's been the the pastor for the least amount of time? And it was literally several guys who had just started 
being a pastor the Sunday before we got there? And then who's been the pastor the longest um, up to 50 years? Um, and, and they would have these couple of different people come up on stage, and some of the prizes were sets of books that took men, several men, to carry up on stage. Um, even John MacArthur, he, he won the... Um, I'm going to do it like Corky. Um, won the, the prize for... Uh, you didn't know you did that, Corky? <laughs> won the prize for being pastor the longest, which was 50 years. And the gift he got, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the gift he got was... Uh, his commentary that he has written on the entire Bible, every book of the Bible. And he's got books that are this thick that are just on a few chapters of one of the books. And it's like, what in the world? And so he comes up and, hey, congratulations. And these four, five, six, seven, eight guys or whatever comes up holding books for him. And those are the people that we got to sit under. I'm like, man, Lord, what a blessing. But the men I think that probably that I got the most from was Mark Dever, John MacArthur, and Legan Duncan. And, and Corky didn't give Legan the, uh, the props that he deserves because that man, he preached his head off at this thing. And um, uh, he, he got an A-plus that day. I, I don't, I, if he's preached better, I don't know. Uh, it'd be hard to believe. But he preached his head off. And... Um, left everybody in all here in the, the word of the Lord. Um, but I really went uh, needing some some time to really focus on Christ. Um, I was in a place where, and for, for months leading up to it really, where I was... Um, I don't. I, I use the word confused often when I was when I would talk to my wife about it. Um, I just needed clarity from God on uh, life. Now, when I say that, I don't mean Sam. Were you struggling with uh, salvation here? No, I wasn't. Um, I just needed God to clarify some things. I don't know how else to put it. And and it was. It, I was just really struggling in life. I really, really was. And um, I looked forward the closer to this thing. I looked forward to it even more and more um, because I really needed some alone time with Christ to just really just get out of life and focus on Him. Um, And God came through. He really, really did. Um, Now, I want to share mostly from from Mark Dever. that's kind of what I'm focused on. I got a lot out of this thing um, that I'm not going to share about. Not that I'm against it, but I'm just not going to share right now. Because um, Corky went 20-some minutes. <laughs> if we were Baptists, we'd be out of here. But we're not. Uh, so I'm going to share just a few things from Mark, Mark Dever, and, and these, this really, he was the first speaker, and after that I was like, well, I can go. I'm ready to go. But as he spoke, God really, really began to renew and clarify my commitment um, as an elder to this church. And I, when I say that, I don't mean that I was about to quit or hang it up or anything like that, but um, I was really, really, really wrestling leading up to this thing. 
uh, with how I how I was to fulfill this calling, the calling that God's put on my life, um, and if I could even fulfill it, if I could even do it. Um, it's a, it's a thing where I, I'm constantly like, Lord, how am I going to do this? Um, can I even do this? I spend more time thinking I screw it up than uh, feeling like I'm nailing it. That's for sure. Um, and so that's one of the ways that I was really struggling leading into this thing. And God really started to clarify um, what that calling looks like. And it's not as confusing as I was making it out to be, honestly. Um God was really reminding me that in the midst of all the comings and goings on in life, especially at church, um, I was called to care for this body, to love this body, and to serve this body, um, to give my time and energy to this body. Um, I'm called to help shepherd God's people in this church. And uh, so... There's a lot of things, again, that I learned that I could bring and say, but probably the biggest thing that I got out of this thing that I can bring back to you guys is a renewed commitment um, as a shepherd um, to this place. And I, the more and more I read about what an elder is and things like that, the more and more I see that Paul is our pastor. He is our head dog. Um, the buck does stop with him. But... Um, as an elder, and I don't mean to continue to talk about being an elder and stuff like that, but I, I promise this, well, I don't promise, but surely this will be one of the very, very few times I ever do this. Um, side note, that is one thing I love about this church is we don't uh, talk about that a whole lot. I'm so glad that my new first name is not Elder. Um, no offense, Quincy, where are you at? <laughs> Um, but, uh, where in the world was I going? That's <laughs> where I'm stuck. <laughs> um, but what I can bring back to you guys, like I said, is, is a renewed sense of, of what my calling is here to this church. And I am, uh, fully committed to you guys. John 21, uh, 15 through 17 says this, and John MacArthur read this um, scripture, And but the funny thing is, is two or three weeks before this, uh, Michelle and I were going out on a date, and of course, I'm talking to her about everything, and she says, well, John 21, blah, 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 says this, and I'm like, yeah, that's great. Not in a bad way, in a in a good way, uh, but it and it 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 sat on me. But then God confirmed it when I heard it again. Um, Twenty one, fifteen through seventeen, when they had uh, eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon Peter, or excuse me, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. And it really is that simple. Um, Where I was going before Quincy interrupted me was um, Paul. Paul is the head dog here, but um, there's not a lot of distinction made between uh, elders and pastor in the sense that uh, my calling on my life that God has put on my life is to be an elder, to be a shepherd to this to this body. And um, I'm committed to that. This was a time that God really renewed my commitment to that. And I'm extremely grateful to God for that. Um, I'm like Corky. I like uh, one-liners. I call them quotes. Um, there's there's times where I'll get a quote in my heart and I'm like, Jaden, uh, take some charcoal stuff and put that on, a, on one of them boards and then spray some stuff on it so it doesn't smear. I'm going to hang that up. Because I, I do like quotes. So I want to share a couple from um, Mark Dever. And these are not exact quotes. Because sometimes when I take notes, I put them in my own words. Pray to be more concerned about our members, not the number of members. Pray to be more concerned with the number of people who are growing instead of the number of people growing. Without the holiness of God, sin has no meaning, meaning, and grace has no point. Commit to love. Commit to commitment. Love like Christ, not because people are so lovable, but because they are God's people. If you know all about theology, but it doesn't change how we treat people or how we act, you should question your salvation. Just a few quotes or one-liners from Mark Dever that I loved. So last thing, um, and, I, and I'm speaking for Corky and Paul, surely I don't mind. Uh, we are committed to, this, to the service uh, of this body, to Christ's church. Uh, we don't always do things right, and there are times that we will screw things up going forward. Surely we will. Um, But just know this, New Covenant, that our hearts are to serve God through serving and shepherding this body. We're also committed to seeing uh, seeing to it that God's entire word is preached and taught in truth, that we are always being reminded of Jesus being crucified, reminded of the entire gospel. Thank you guys for sending us to this again, and uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Corky and Michelle and Sam. I told the guys as we planned to share, I'd let them go first because you hear me every Sunday. It would be nice to hear a new verse. And uh, I think my time's about up, so they really took advantage of that. But I do want to share a few words with you. And I had about five different things in mind because I didn't know what direction they were going to go. And I didn't want to repeat. But I will say, uh, ironically or providentially, 
it sounds like our favorite message was the same, and that was Legan Duncan's message in balancing the difference between grace and law. And uh, so I will have to sneak that into my sermons. All the things I don't get to say this morning, I will sneak into my sermons throughout the weeks. But as you know, the theme was being distinct from the world. One of the verses that was read, Second Peter chapter 3, I'll, I'll just read verses 10 and 11. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? In other words... What a great question Peter asks in, in light of the day of the Lord is coming. What do we do while we're waiting for the earth to dissolve? What do we do while we're waiting for the king to return to the earth? We live godly. What, ought of, what, what sort of people ought we to be? We ought to be a godly people, a holy people. That's what we do while we're waiting for God. That's our destiny. Christ conforms us to his image. He makes us holy, and when we get to heaven, we will be sinless in our glorified bodies. But the idea is that we strive and we get closer and closer and closer to that every day. That's what we should be busy doing, and that's what makes us distinct from, from the world, because that's not what the world's thinking about. The world does not wake up thinking about, how can I be more like Christ today? What, what can I change in my life that isn't pleasing to my Lord and Savior? And that's what makes us distinct. One of the uh, illustrations that was given, and I was hoping these guys wouldn't use it, <clears throat> but um, there was a, a very popular dynamic church that boasted this sign out front, and it said, We preach Christ crucified. And they did. Under that sign was some landscaping. Part of that landscaping were some vines or some ivy. And over the, over the years, it was unkept. And so the ivy kind of crept up on to that sign. And so now when you go by that sign, you would only see, we preach Christ, which is good. But over the years, the landscaping was unkept and the vines continue to creep up. And it reads now, if you go by it, we preach. And that's kind of a little parable or a metaphor of the condition of some of the churches today. One of the things that makes us distinct, Paul says in Corinthians, is that we preach Christ crucified. And that's foolishness to the world, but it's wisdom to the people of God. And yet in the churches today, it was we preach Christ crucified and then we preach Christ. And now a lot of what we are being fed is just we preach. You don't always know what you're going to get in any given church that bears the name of Christianity today. And we do need to be careful that as we lean over looking into the world, we don't fall in. If, if I know that one of the thrusts in today's church, and it's motivated by something good, I think, and that is to reach the lost. We do need to reach the lost. But one of the ways we do that is 
by losing our distinctiveness, by trying to be too much, so much like the world and so friendly to the world that by the time you come to a church, you don't really even see a difference in people's lives. And if we don't have anything different to offer, where's the gospel message in that? And what we have different to offer is the grace of God lived out in our lives through our obedience. We're saved by grace and we're obedient. We're holy by grace. And so I just want to encourage us. One of the things that I came away with is um, I was encouraged with our church. And I know, as Sam said, there's a lot of things we could do different. We, we all need improvement personally, and I think we need improvement congregationally. We pray about that and we work on that. But I, I was encouraged with our church because I think God has brought together a, a family of dedicated people that have a heart for him. And that haven't fallen for some of the fads that come through and sweep through Christianity that are so seem to be so popular, but later on really make no difference or bear no fruit. So I appreciate your faithfulness. I appreciate your faithfulness to invest in your leaders and pray for your leaders. And I appreciate your heart for God. And it may seem like there's not much of an impact way back here in the woods. But if you love God. You are making the impact that you were created to make in this world. When we sing our praises to God, though they may not hear outside of these walls, that is gospel living. That pleases God and delights God. When we just come in small numbers and sit under the word in the Sunday school classes and then with the adults, that is the gospel being lived out. And I am encouraged by that and I'm encouraged by your faith. So God bless you guys. And we're going to and thank you for investing in us in this conference. As you can see, we all came back encouraged. It was a good time and we maintained unity. Jesus's prayer was answered while we rode in the van for about 10 hours together, cramped in that van on the way up and the way back. So God's uh, that prayer was answered. But I want us now to just enter into a time of worship um, where we delight in God and know that. God delights in us.